0: Casey Frank, good morning to you. Well,
1: how are we going? Thanks for having me this morning.
0: No, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks really for appreciate help. your time. Yeah.
1: Thanks for getting that. <laughs> oh, it's a bit late, isn't it? Five past it eight. Is. You would have been up is.
0: ages ago, Case.
1: <laughs> up yes. Not always paying attention to my phone, but today I have. <laughs> thanks very much. Let's forget about the past. Let's move on <laughs> to
2: today.
0: <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Casey's corner. NBL, plenty going on in the NBL competition. Auckland Tuatara at the top of the leaderboard. The uh, Wellington Saints finding a bit of form. Obviously that slip up against the Otago Nuggets, the 8-4 and four mate. Casey's Corner, a wrap after round nine, where do you see it?
1: Well, right now I'm sort of seeing the NBL has two classes got the four teams at the top that all have at least eight wins and have just about sewn up their postseason hopes. Uh, I think uh, nine wins should definitely get you in this year, and, and I, I don't see most of those teams slipping up that much the rest of the way. So my interest is really in those bottom six teams, from Wellington, Southland, uh, Manawatu, mm-hmm. Taranaki, Hawke's Bay, uh, and Nelson. You know, uh, all, all with at least three wins with a max of five or with six with the, with the Saints who uh, have been uh, about an even, but You know, there's going to be a lot of movement down the stretch. Every team is capable. Every team has reloaded at least a little bit at some point during the season, some more recently than others. And I think when you're really looking at the form that the Giants and Taranaki and Manawatu have played with this this last week, uh, they are there to make some noise and climb their way up that ladder.
2: Casey, we've talked a lot about the NBL and particularly about the Saints. Now, last year, they had a bit of a hiccup. And and we put that down to maybe them underestimating the strength of, of of some of the other sides. They let their imports come in late. They got off to a slow start, and you know they had to put on together a really great run to recover to make the play-ins. Uh, I thought that was going to be a one-off, and that we'd be back to usual. and And the Saints would be another team that would you know a team that's dominating this league this year. But once again, they've started slow and they've struggled. With it. They just not learn lessons from last year. What do you think the problem is at the Saints?
1: Well, I think this year uh, they did sort of make a a similar decision with uh, Isaiah Morihoho Ojoliata to bring him in a little bit late because he wanted to do some training in the States to further his career in a a different aspect uh, with different trainers. So they did make, but he's not the same type of player Xavier Cooks was. You know, everything wasn't revolving around him. I I think the big problem with their slow start was that Kyle Adnan was out injured, and we can see how valuable he is to this offense. They built an offense that was built around his skill set. When he wasn't there, they started slowly. But since he's returned, the big problem is they're just not playing defense. Uh, when they need to get stops, they haven't been able to. At times, they've been baited into some silly plays. You know, we, there's a, a case before the, the game review board right now in the NBL with some actions that Toey Smith-Milner took place that will be handed down later this week when everything sorted out before the weekend. But uh, I think their, their mentality defensively hasn't been where it needs to be uh, they're probably the best offensive team when they're going in the nbl but the fact that they haven't been able to consistently stop teams and that went against you know uh understrength uh, uh, or that loss to the understrength Chicago nuggets team last weekend was really telling uh, a, a lot of wide open shots for a team that really only had two two weapons on the perimeter the fact that they couldn't shut that down is telling me that they're not doing a good job of listening to their scouts and they're not implementing the game plan because that game plan would have been pretty simple.
3: Hey, Casey, just just on that, you know, like you look at the imports and, and uh, the franchises and the signings that they've got, you know, you look at the breakers and how important those imports were for them. In this competition, how, how important is the franchise to get their imports right and which franchises do you think lead the way uh, in this competition?
1: Uh, the, the import decisions is the most important decision you can make. Uh, if you don't get a guy uh, off, the, off the plane that comes in and is able to do the job, you're going to be in trouble. You know, with, with, with three imports, you're talking about 60% of your starting lineup. Uh, when one of those guys isn't performing, you look at what uh, Taranaki has done when they had David Azor, who wasn't quite the right fit, not enough of a the score. They bring in Kendrick Gray. He drops 32, and instantly they're, they're beating South on the road. You know, a very different team. Uh, you look at what the with two Jets have done with – uh, a local core that isn't very accomplished, very young, and hasn't really produced. But those imports are scoring over 70 points per game, so every single game they've got a chance. Now, un- if, you, if you don't have the top-end local talent, you're not going to be able to reach the heights of the best teams in the league. You look at what Auckland's been able to do with getting the import mix right. They don't have to be you know, dominant guys, per se, as Cam Glidden isn't really a dominant guy. We can see Jill Lawson's not going to be a dominant guy. But these guys are fitting into what they want to do, fitting around their local talent that is top level and Ruben Tarangi and Rob Lowe, and that enables them to compete with anybody every single day. So it's absolutely something you have to get right, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have to score 30 points per game. It just means that they have to fit what you're trying to do with a franchise.
0: Speaking of local talent, the Tuatara on fire. Rob Lowe recently announcing his retirement, but he's leading the MVP vote. How vital is he on both ends of the floor?
1: Uh, he's, to me, the most valuable player in the league. Uh, he, he's tied for first in the competition in defensive win shares with Ricky McGill, uh, who's first in the league in steals. And What he does defensively, blocking shots, uh, getting in passing lanes, and just deterring people at the rim with his size is so important for what the Tuatar does. And then offensively, he, he's been uh, kind of like a warm blanket. You know, when they really need a bucket, they can go to him in the low post, they can go to him in the high post. He's creating real tough covers on that side. They can't switch on the... Di- uh, J- Jared Weeks' uh, pick-and-roll action because if they get a switch with Rob Lowe, he's going to town. Uh, I mean, just uh, probably the best season of his professional career uh, in terms of impact mm-hmm. of what he's done. And, you know, I, I spoke to him after the game and we, we, we did a quick interview for the highlight show where I asked, you know, you, you've announced your retirement from the Aussie League and you've announced your <laughs> retirement from the Tall Blacks. But you haven't announced your talent for New, the New Zealand NBL. And, and he shared with us that, you know, at this point, he's planning to continue playing because it allows time with the family. The travel isn't strenuous. So thankfully here in the local league, we're, we're more than likely going to be able to see him for a fair few years. But there, there's no doubt that he, he's leaving a lot of meat on that bone in terms of uh, playing at a higher level.
0: What would you make of that retirement? 31, you're saying he's obviously playing the best basketball of his
1: career
0: are you, are you surprised that he's obviously made that decision?
1: Well, I'm shocked. But but, but that's yeah. because, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for some, guy, some guys, uh, like the, the game is everything to them. It, it drives their every waking moment. It's all they want to do. You know, like my own case, I basically played until the wheels fell, fell off. You know, <laughs> I couldn't really walk anymore. That's why I couldn't get a job. But, Rob, he's in a different stage. You know, he's, he had some really good lucrative offers from Australia. I know multiple teams were offering him, uh, you know, tw- at, at, at the very minimum, twice as much as he was being offered by the breakers. This wasn't a financial decision. This was purely based on the difficulties of the last three years. You know, he had, a, he had his first child uh, right before COVID started, so basically spent two years away from his family. It was a really difficult time. Uh, he, and he has learned that in that time that as important basketball is to him, his family is more valued. So he's made that decision to, to do what's best for his child, best for his wife, and you know it's it's actually one of those cases where somebody says, "Well, I want to spend more time with family," and they're actually honest about it. Giving up giving up a a, a bit of the spotlight for your children is always a great thing, but uh, it's a decision that each player and has to make individually when the time is right.
2: It's interesting what you said there about you know the the deals he was had on the table were twice as much as what the breakers were offering. Do you do you think him saying no to the breakers is a bit of a um, he maybe felt like they were taking the piss with that offer?
1: Well, I think that if it would have worked financially for the breakers to keep him in town and it would have been on par with what he thought he was worth, I think more than likely he would have been back. Uh, But I think a lot of the same questions would have been there for him. And when, when it comes to a point where you're like, well, I'll play, but only if I get this much, then you're you're probably not in the mindset where it means as much to you as, where, as it really needs to to play at that level to be a professional. So uh, my, my guess is from the outside looking in that if those, those offers were matched, he might have gone. But the, the fact of the matter is that the breakers don't have the financial wherewithal of some of the teams in Australia. They have to build their team uh, in a different way. At times, that means making sacrifices to guys they'd like to keep around and asking them to make sacrifices at a time so they're unable to do so. Hey, Casey,
3: just, just talking about that, you're talking about rebuilding. Modi's you know, having to do that with the breakers as well. Are you confident that he can put a side um, back together that's going to compete in, in uh, that competition?
1: I, I think uh, you know you always have to see what the team is made out of. Uh, I've got a lot of confidence in Modi Moore as a coach and what he's able to get out of his players. But if you don't got the horses, you can't run the race. Uh, they made a big signing today with uh, uh He's coming off a huge season in Israel where he averaged almost 14 rebounds per game. Uh, they're hoping him as a local is going to be, provide, be able to provide what Derek Harden did but outside of that, look, this team's got more questions than answers right now. Uh, they're going to be very dependent on rounding out that import core, uh, as well as seeing if some of the local guys who, who are, are still around can develop what Tom, Tommy Abercrombie is able to give with this one-year contract. Is he going to be able to lift his level if he needs to? There are a lot of questions. and it, it, The confidence is there and the ability to scheme something out, but they do have to find some quality players, especially in those import spots, to try and reach the heights of last season.
2: Where do you think this leaves the Tall Blacks? I mean, you know, it was a few years ago they lost Alex Pledger, obviously, because of his health issues. Now they've lost Rob Lowe and Tom Abercrombie back-to-back as well. Um, A bit of a changing in the guard at the Tall Blacks level too.
1: Uh, yeah, but it always is at the uh, national team level. There's always going to be guys so, on that other side of 30 that have to make that decision that I can't do that anymore. And I think what the Tall Blacks have done an excellent job of in recent seasons is that they've rotated that group. So now instead of a pool of 12 or 13 players, maybe 15, there's you know, 25 guys who are actually talented enough and have enough experience within the group to understand what it takes to win at a high level. Uh, does that mean that they're not going to be worse off without Tommy and Rob? No, I, I think they are going to be worse off. But, uh, uh, you know, on the wing, inside, on the interior, there are a lot of options. You know, you, you look at, uh, you know, just to name a few, Sam Timmons, Ty Winyard. We've got uh, Yanni Wetzel uh, as big. So, you know, we've seen Callum McRae came back this weekend. And while he's probably on the outside looking in for tall Blacks, you know, he had 26 points in his debut as a professional. So there's a lot of size out there. And on the wing, we really do excel. Uh, we, we've, got, we've got a lot of players out there. Ruben Taraini, I think Finn Delaney, his ability to go to that three spot and that four spot uh, are guys that I look at as, as true performers on that stage. The leadership is always missed, but thankfully the tall blacks over time do a great job of passing that knowledge down uh, to the next generation to ensure that those guys have as good a chance to win as they need. Uh, they need a pretty good chance against Greece and the U.S. Yeah,
0: it's going to be an outstanding tournament. Let's uh, try and wind back the clock to when they went so far and in, in around o two o one, and back when the younger days. I still love watching that. But let's switch our focus across to the United States. Denver could be champions today. Do you expect that to take place?
1: I do. Uh, you know, as. As valiant as Miami's postseason run has been this year, I just feel like mm-hmm. they've run out of juice. Uh, uh, you know they're one and six in their last seven games, which is amazing to think that you can be one and six in the playoffs and still alive for an NBA championship. Uh, I wouldn't count them out because they scheme as well as everyone. That you know they obviously have tremendous heart and they play with great effort. They're bringing back in Kyler Hero, so they may be able to scheme something offensively that allows them to produce the points. Uh, but but in the scheme of things, the offense that Denver's playing with is you know one of the all-time great offenses in the playoffs. Their offensive ratings at like one fifteen a game right now. Uh, they've been able to really find ways to score even when Nikola Jokic isn't playing well, and he, he's the number one cheat code in the NBA uh, at the moment. His ability to score inside and create for his teammates <laughs> is something unlike we've really seen from Bigs before, and I, I just don't see how the Miami Heat can produce enough offense. To win this series, maybe they can win today, but in the end, it, to me, it, it's a nearly a foregone conclusion that the Nuggets are going to get it.
3: Hey Casey, so if it does go that way today, where does where does Jokic go down? And he's unbackable as MVP. Um, where do you where do you hold him? I guess in the uh, realms of you know the Lebron James and the and the the goat um, Michael Jordan. Does as he start to be talked in those circles?
1: Well, to to get into that, you know, the upper echelon of guys, uh, which for me is guys like LeBron, MJ, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Bill Russell, Larry Bird. Uh, you know, these are all guys who have multiple championships. I, I think the least amount of championships on that list is three. Uh, you, you know, so so uh, to, if you want to be one of the all-time greats, it, it's. It's not MVP that gets it. It's titles. Uh, until you get to maybe three titles, if he gets three titles, he's going to be in that conversation. Uh, with one title, you're probably looking at yourself as you know a top twenty guy uh, with with those two MVPs. If if you know his career were stopped short today, he wouldn't quite be there. But I, I think the amazing thing about it is we're we're talking about a guy who is. You know, a second-round pick drafted during the Taco Bell commercial, who actually has a chance to be mentioned in those hall ho- with those Hall ho- of Names, and he's certainly got the skill set. He, you know, his teammates love him. He's performed well now for several years in a row. You know, two MVPs was on the short list for MVP this season, uh, and now has a chance to get an NBA title. And once you get that title in your belt, that's when you can start looking at that next level of conversation on what type of player I am. But. You know, at the same time, uh, he really doesn't care. <laughs> you tell him about this stuff, he's like, yeah, I don't care, whatever. So uh, it's an interesting thing to how hard he's going to work towards it.
2: Yeah, it will be, man. I, I, I just I just are waiting for that Taco Bell commercial to come out that just starts with, like, Nikola Jokic standing there about to give you an address and going, hey, folks, look at Jokic here, and they just cut away from him and go to a Taco Bell commercial. That would be brilliant.
1: <laughs> it would be quality. Uh, there's definitely a marketing opportunity there, and, uh, you know, not so much anymore, but once upon a time, you look like a guy that frequented would talk about with some ease.
2: <laughs> I still do. I still do, Casey. Hey, listen, mate, thank you very
1: much for your time this morning, brother.
2: Always appreciate it. Go well and uh, good luck Thanks, with your pens tomorrow night, eh? I
1: well, appreciate it, fellas. Uh, always, always a pleasure and glad I could wake up on time today.
2: <laughs> good stuff, Casey. Frank there with us on SENZ. This is Izzy and Kempy for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, the real house of fragrance.